0: It's the holidays and it's a happy time of year for many of us. It's also a time of year when our mental health can be challenged either by busy schedules or a reminder that we don't have the close connections that we may want in our lives. As many of us celebrate, others struggle with their mental health, dealing with anxiety or loneliness, especially with travel still being so difficult in a second year of pandemic holidays. So today we're going to have three guests who are experts in the field of mental health. First, we'll revisit an episode I recorded with Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are authors and Harvard professors on the topic of loneliness. Then we'll talk with my friend, Julie Dwyer, who's the founder of Ease Mindfulness and currently completing her PhD in the field. Let's check out my conversation with Dr. Olds and Dr. Schwartz and learn how we can combat loneliness this holiday season. Hi, Dr. Olds. Hi, Dr. Schwartz. Welcome to the show. What a pleasure. Thank you. you Well, Dr. Schwartz, we had you on the show around Valentine's Day. We were talking about love and we also brushed on loneliness. And now you've got your wife and fellow researcher and co author um, with you today because today we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the topic of loneliness. And this is where you guys spend a lot of your time. You've written several books on it and you've done lots of talks on it. Dr. Olds, what is loneliness? Well, there are two ways to think of loneliness.
1: One is that it's kind of solitude who's that's gone too far, when it starts to hurt and feel like you're having the sensation that everybody else is more connected than you and you're constantly being left out, that is when solitude stops being comfortable and starts being loneliness. But it's also true that people, when they're in the midst of what looks like a crowd or they live in a situation with lots of people around and they feel much less connected with everybody else than they think the other people do, they can feel lonely even though they've got people around. And you would think to yourself, how can they be?
0: Mm-hmm. I, I could believe that. When I, was, when I was 21 years old or 20 years old, I moved to New York City. Huge city, but didn't know a soul. And one of the loneliest times of my life. Dr. Schwartz, how, how can someone tell if they're lonely? Because, again, your environment may not dictate it. It may be a personal experience. Actually, uh, mostly it's easy to tell because
2: loneliness is a kind of evolutionarily useful feeling that signals us that we, we need to do something more to, uh, to connect with people. So most of the time, it's pretty easy to recognize. But it's also true that uh, with, with all emotions, whether or not you're raised to understand them and label them makes a difference. And there are, there, there are people who grow up just not knowing what loneliness is, not knowing what to call it when they feel it, and not knowing that that's what they're feeling when uh, when when it's happening. And actually, one of the things that first got us interested in uh, loneliness as a subject was we began to realize that lots of patients were coming to see us complaining of depression, which seemed to be a good and acceptable way to describe their
0: distress. But th- what they were really talking about was loneliness. It's interesting. Yeah, you can be alone or you can be lonely. I remember I've been camping by myself before and been completely content because it's a beautiful thing and I chose to be there. But Dr. Olds, what is the real difference between the two, between being alone and being lonely?
1: Solitude or aloneness. A, there's somewhat of a sense that you may have chosen it. And B, there's the sense that it will be alleviated in good time, that you will get back to the people you love or the people you like. That it isn't going to go on indefinitely. Loneliness, you don't have that certitude that you're going to get back into connection again. And furthermore, you don't necessarily have the sense that you chose it.
0: Right. Okay. So on that same lines, what are the causes of people being lonely? Is it something that can develop over time or is it purely a function of just your current circumstances?
1: Well, I think... What's interesting about it and why we wrote a couple of books on loneliness is that everybody experiences loneliness at some point in their life. There's no way to avoid loneliness. And if you're just talking about left out feelings and transient feelings of being lonely, that happens to most people maybe uh, once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like it never happens once you're in good connection with people. You might feel a little twinge when you see that they're nine hours ahead of you where you're going to have to entertain yourself and you can't (laughs) depend on someone else. When they move, like as you were just talking about moving, when you go to a brand new place where you don't know anybody, of course you're lonely. And there's not much, even the most socially skilled people can't avoid it. You have to be able to go through it and work your way out of it.
0: Right. Okay. So I, I want to talk about some of those techniques because that's really important for people. One of the things we talked about the last show is that sometimes people don't invite it into their life and they expect other people to make them feel welcome. But I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Dr. Schwartz, for a second. You, you said that you work with patients. You guys are both psychiatrists, so you're working with patients and they don't realize that they're actually lonely. How can you recognize it if you're not a trained expert like yourselves and recognize that maybe somebody I know is, is a little too lonely these days? Basically, you hear people talking about a sense of being left
2: out is usually what, uh, uh, what people uh, talk about uh, without identifying it as a lonely feeling, this, the sense that uh, other people are, are going about their lives, leaving you apart. And you begin to hear that theme and, 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 and begin to, to recognize it as a, a sort of common feeling of distress that you know, happens actually more in modern life than it ever used to because people are doing what you did, moving to a new city where they don't know anybody or having people move away in, in, in ways that uh, human beings never used to over m- most of history.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, it's, it's such a broad topic. You guys wrote a book on it. Uh, Dr. Schwartz, maybe tell me about the book that you guys wrote, and then I'm going to throw it over you to Dr. Olds, and You can tell us about some of the talks that you guys gave on the subject as well.
2: Uh, we, we actually wrote two books. We wrote an a earlier book, uh, Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life, And then more recently wrote a book called The Lonely American, Drifting Apart in the 21st Century, uh, which was uh, more of a broader sociologic view. Uh, The first one was more on, my gosh, people are lonely and don't know what to do about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And so some of the main themes in that were that it is something that's relatively new, but also it's something that's kind of universal. If you mean, think about the United States, it's a huge, huge country, we're the biggest countries in the world and such a diverse group of individuals. What were some of the real main recurring themes that you sort of uh, evaluated in that?
1: Well, one thing that we felt was somewhat at fault is that individualism sort of creeps into everything about American training, so to speak. You know, you go to school and from the earliest times you hear about the lonesome heroes and you hear about, you know, cowboys or you hear a little house on the prairie. And it's all about people who have to cope with loneliness. And when America started as a country, it was made up of tiebreakers who left the old world where everybody scratched each other's back, so to speak, to coming to live on live in a much more isolated surrounding where they didn't know people. So individualism became a very positive American value, which we think has kind of gone too far. And in some ways, as America has grown more prosperous, people tend to live alone more and more, which isn't necessarily the best thing for them, medically, for example.
0: That makes sense, and there's more space. I mean, you go to Europe and everything is on top of each other, the communities there, people yeah. live in smaller houses, smaller cars, smaller everything, and you can have big sprawling places. And where I live in Newfoundland, there's literally, thousands of kilometers per person we have a half million people in a place the size of texas so it's just massive and so i could see that
2: one, one of the uh, remarkable changes over the last century in this country and it's happening in other parts of the world as well is that even when people are all packed together in the city uh, the way people are living is more and more isolated one, mm-hmm. one of the biggest transformations uh, shown by u.s census data uh, over the last century is uh, the number of households that consist of one, pe- one person living alone has just skyrocketed, that is, uh, and of course, people are doing that partly because that's what they wanna do. So people are, are actually seeking out of uh, this more isolated state and, and, uh, and in many ways enjoying it, but ending up feeling lonely in ways that they, they don't expect to.
1: And COVID just you know escalated that by a factor of 10 to 100
0: now you're in a small apartment that you can only afford by yourself It's small. You're in a skyscraper somewhere. You can't see people. It's tough. Now, I have a question. I'm going to go a little bit off what we had talked about before, but like, has the pursuit of materialism sort of made people I keep smaller households? I can't have children. I don't have time. I've got to accomplish things, or I'm going to you know, accumulate more things. I've got to get ahead of my career. How has that changed things, Jackie?
1: Well, I have worked with lots of college students. And one of the worries I had when I would listen to their goals for the future was they'd say, I want an apartment or a house of my own. And they didn't say with somebody else. They didn't say with my partner. They basically wanted to have everything their way. Mm-hmm. And it just depressed the hell out of me actually, <laughs> because it seemed to me that it was you know, something that people who had maybe never had an experience of loneliness wouldn't quite realize how isolating it can be to live in your own small apartment, having everything your way, but no company to enjoy it with.
0: We're talking with Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are both Harvard Medical School professors and clinical psychiatrists, about their work in understanding the impact of loneliness on our health. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are both Harvard Medical School professors and clinical psychiatrists. They're also authors of Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life, Marriage in Motion, and The Lonely American. We're learning about their work and the impact that loneliness has on our health, especially this time of year when holiday celebrations are in full swing. Let's check it out. What are some things people can do? Because in the last interview, you had such a great point saying people are like, I'm lonely, but they don't invite people over. They don't reach out to people. So what can people do? I'll throw it to you, whoever wants to take that one.
1: So I have a metaphor that I use with people a lot. And sometimes they get it. And sometimes they probably think I'm off my rocker. But it's the beacon tower metaphor that we are all like little beacon towers, you know, those very tall towers that have lights at the top. And everybody is kind of surveying the horizon to see whose Beacon Tower is going off with a signal that they matter. Mm-hmm. So every time you get a small text or a hello or a big smile on the street or, a, you know, little group email, you need to treat that as a signal that you respond to. In some way, you take the next turn and say, thanks so much for sending me that text. I really appreciate it. Or, you know, yeah, I'll come to that meeting. And so if you keep that dialogue between Beacon Towers going, that's excellent. But if somebody gets feeling depressed or too needy or doesn't want anybody to know how desperately lonely they are and they make their beacon tower go silent, the Mm -hmm. light goes off and everybody assumes that they don't matter to that person anymore. They don't think uh, the person is going silent because they're feeling bad or they're feeling needy. They assume that the other person has better fish to fry. So you have to keep that dialogue going between the beacon towers that make up every person.
0: That's so It's so interesting. I, I've gotten to a different stage in my life where I've had such amazing people that have really been like, really matter to me. And earlier this year, I kind of made a list of those people because I realized that I hadn't talked to some of them for like months or even longer in some cases, but they were extremely important. One of them was my best friend. And, and I was like, I haven't talked to this guy for like eight months. I need to connect, you know? So is there is there some other things that people can do? Like if, they're, if they want to start and be like, okay, how do I assess this? Well,
2: well one of the things that uh, is a great story about how to do this is in uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. Um, and he, uh, he talks about uh, when he was getting into politics, there was some uh, uh, wealthy man in Philadelphia who was an adversary in some way who he wanted to get on his side. And uh, this man had uh, a, a wonderful private library uh, so he asked the man whether he could borrow a book from this library that he couldn't get anyplace else. Uh, the man lent him the book, and having been able to do him a favor, became his friend. And, um, and uh, so one of the things when you're moving into uh, communities where you don't know anybody uh, that, uh, that actually is a, a good way to go is to ask people for favors or help or to borrow something, <clears throat> and that begins... Uh, so. A, a, a connection and, uh, and a sort of reciprocity. And uh, actually, uh, pe- people feel close to people who they can help also. So that, uh, I, that has always been an inspiring story to me.
0: I think that's, it's so funny. I I interview such a broad, broad variety of people. And one of my friends had a glioblastoma and he's got terminal cancer, but he's had this amazing philosophy towards life. And he said that a lot of people got help during the pandemic. And this year, if they don't need help, they should give help. You know what I mean? And if they can't give help, then give love because it does connect people together. And that's how he was able to stay connected. Actually, you've probably heard of the CN tower. It's going gray this year. And he's just one person on the other side of the country that was able to, uh, to bring that and again because he reached out and asked for help people gave him help and he feels it you know it's been a a huge thing for him so we're in a place in newfoundland and you might have heard of the broadway show come from away so that's about the planes that landed in newfoundland after 9 11 and how the newfoundlanders welcome people in people that come here are called come from away so i was a come from away and it can be a difficult situation it's a very unique culture how can people integrate themselves? They can help, but are there some other things that they can do to sort of get engaged in a new culture if maybe through a their new citizen or new to the community?
1: Well, I think what's so interesting and uh, Richard came up with this idea, which we were sometimes living, but we didn't know we were living it, which is that if you have a mutual mission of any sort, it can be, you know, I'm going to beautify the center medium strip on the highway or it can be, Uh, we're all going to watch out for each other's garages because we have bicycles in there. Or it can be, you know we're gonna carpool together when we go into the city. Mm -hmm. But whatever the mutual plan is, if you meet with people regularly, and there's a group of them, chances are as time goes by, and it takes longer than everybody thinks, you will become friends with some of those people. Mm -hmm. But you do have to have a number of mutual groups that meet regularly and they don't have to be anything complicated. It doesn't mean you have to get into the social club that matters. It means you can form a little group of people who love collecting wildflowers.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a beach clean up here where people get together every year and now it's just a thing we do every year. We just know that it's gonna happen in the spring when the snow melts. So uh, that's, that's big. The, another thing is happening here is that s- communities are getting smaller. Uh, so there's an urban sort of migration a lot of the time and birth rates are down across all North America, but we were from a very Irish Catholic place. where People have families of 12 children and now the average birth rate per household is 0. 0.5. And so the, the communities that were rural, some of them are turning into tourism but other ones are shrinking dramatically, and so you know what people were used to—a vibrant community—is not so uh, anymore. How can people in those communities that aren't ready to move to an urban center, or don't need to, or don't want to, for whatever reason, how can they maintain their sense of community and and, and combat loneliness when it's a little slower pace than it used to be?
2: That really is a a very hard question, and uh, and and I don't think there uh, that anybody really knows the answer to it, but there are. Certainly uh, things that, that you can do, which is to, uh, to try to make sure that, that people are gathering more together regularly and are involved in more mutual projects or, 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 or mutual interests. And you, you have to work at building them because a lot of the institutions that, uh, that have been connecting people start to sort of get thin and fray as, as people are moving away. And, uh, you know, it really is a, a big struggle.
0: The holidays can be difficult for many people and a time when loneliness becomes even greater. While common definitions of loneliness describe it as a state of solitude or being alone, loneliness is actually a state of mind. Loneliness is defined by researchers as feeling lonely more than once a week. Now, loneliness causes people to feel empty, alone and unwanted. People who are lonely often crave human contact, but their state of mind makes it more difficult to form connections with other people. Loneliness, according to many experts, is not necessarily about being alone. Instead, if you feel alone and isolated, then that's how loneliness plays into your state of mind. For example, it could be a college freshman who might feel lonely despite being surrounded by roommates and other peers, especially this time of year when getting home for the holidays may be even harder than ever. It could be a soldier who's deployed to a foreign country, despite being constantly surrounded by other troop members. Or there's an example that rings true to us here at home at Newfoundland and Labrador, and that's our friends and neighbors who are rotational workers and away from their families and children during this magical time of year. Loneliness is caused by several contributing factors, and they include situational variables such as physical isolation, moving to a new location, or a breakup, or a divorce. It could be the death of someone significant to a person's life, which can also lead to these feelings. Additionally, it can be symptoms of a psychological disorder called depression. Now, loneliness can also be attributed to internal factors, such as low self-esteem. People who lack confidence in themselves often believe they're unworthy of the attention or regard of other people, which can lead to a feeling of isolation and chronic loneliness. So this year, be sure to reach out to the people you care about most and turn on that beacon so that others can connect with you. That way you can all share in the holiday spirit. Let's get back to our interview. Anything you want to leave people with when it comes to like, you know, if if we've talked a lot about the different recognitions and and things they can do, but any sort of last words of, of advice for people that may be dealing with loneliness?
1: But don't assume that if you're feeling lonely, that somehow means you're a loser.
2: Mm.
1: That is just not true. Everybody experiences it at some time or other. And there are circumstantial reasons that we all have to put up with loneliness sometimes. And just when you think, okay, I'm in such bad shape that I don't want anyone to see me or talk to me. That's exactly the time you should make that anxiety provoking phone call and reach out to people. And even say, actually one of my favorite patients who was going through a very difficult divorce and felt horribly lonely, used to call up her old friends and say, I need somebody to babysit for me. And it worked perfectly. Her friends you know, came much closer. They loved being called upon to help her uh, through this difficult time, but they never would have thought of intruding if she hadn't asked.
0: Right, right. And Dr. Schwarz? <laughs> no, I can't do better than that. <laughs> Perfect. And maybe it's find a really great partner as well that you guys can jive with. <laughs> uh thank you so much for taking the time today, guys. There's so much I could talk to you about. I mean, I might be knocking on your door again sometime in the future, but thank you so much for for sharing your expertise. With everybody today it's such an important topic and great to see you. It's great, great to great see to you. That was Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz, who are both Harvard Medical School professors and clinical psychiatrists. They shared the many ways that loneliness can impact our health. Now, when we come back, we'll talk with Julie Dwyer from Ease Mindfulness about why the holidays can be particularly tough here in NL and what we can do to keep mindful, preserve and improve our mental health and get the most out of the holidays. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, we're here with Julie Dwyer from Ease Mindfulness about why the holidays can be particularly tough here in Newfoundland and Labrador and what we can do to keep mindful, preserve, or improve our mental health and enjoy the holidays. Let's check it out. Hey Julie, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks for having me. So happy to be here tonight.
0: Well, I'm interrupting one of your trips here in beautiful Fogo Island for a few days, but I'm glad you could join us tonight. Now, you've had a really busy year. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and what's been going on the last 12 months?
3: Yes. So it actually came in my memories today that we did this exactly one year ago today. So in the past year, I officially launched my mindfulness business. It's called Ease Mindfulness. Uh, I've been working with a lot of corporations across North America, Europe, elite athletes, the growlers, provincial athletes, doing a lot of mindfulness-based education and training across a variety of industries. And I've been quite busy with my PhD. Also, that's kind of sort of related within the mindfulness field, doing behavioral medicine now at MUNN
0: and that's why it's so good to reconnect because every year this field is changing and evolving you're got your finger on the pulse whether it be through school or through your your practical work and we think about the holidays right and we think the holidays are a super happy time for everybody but they can also be really stressful right
3: absolutely and especially given the fact that we're closing in on two years of you know pandemic life a lot of Climate change and all kinds of extra stuff is happening to create things like anxiety and fear and stress. And these can really impact how we approach the holidays and kind of this idea that while it is often, you know, a very joyful season for many, it can really be a bit tricky and that extra pressure that we're supposed to be feeling good can actually kind of backfire and make us feel you know, well, why, in, why am I not feeling that way? Or something's wrong with me because I'm not the most joyful person. But the reality is, you know, moods come and go. And, you know, the expectation is that you shouldn't be joyful for 30 full days in a row. But sometimes that's, you know, the message we see on social media, on the news, in the movies, things like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, like Hallmark movies, everything is just fantastic all the time. And, you know, there's there's two sides to the equation, really. I mean, If you're really busy, that can lead to forms of anxiety, I'm sure. And also being alone can be difficult for people as well because you're supposed to be surrounded by folks, but sometimes that's not possible.
3: So I think for people who are very, very busy, that can be just as harmful as spending too much time alone. That leads to, you know, you're not, you're kind of distracting yourself from anything that's going on with you. And then you're, you know, that's leading to things like burnout and you're not really kind of coping. You're just go, 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 rush, rush, rush. And then finally, when you do crash, everything kind of just, crumbles in at once. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, if you're spending all of your time alone, whether by choice or, you know, you're separated with travel or things like that, that can be very challenging. But with the tools that we have with Zoom, with social media, with technology as harmful as it can be in some ways, it can also help us to stay connected. But also, you know, to making the most and embracing some of that long time, creating your own traditions, making space for movement, whether it's just going for a simple walk, finding something meaningful for you as an individual that you can enjoy, that you can reflect on without feeling the pressure of what other people are doing and without getting trapped in that comparison game. I mean, all year long, kind of compare ourselves to other people, but at Christmas, it is really a lot of extra comparison happening. Between what we're doing, what other people are doing, what the expectations are, what the traditions are, you know, does our Christmas look like everyone else's Christmas, but if we just focus on what feels good and authentic to us, and kind of give ourselves grace and give ourselves space to be kind to ourselves, you know, this doesn't have to be a certain thing, we can take it day by day, I think would be my biggest advice there, and to just be very gentle with ourselves and be kind and patient.
0: I agree. I agree. I love that term. You just use grace. I think that's such an eloquent way to be able to put it because it can be really challenging for people to feel like they have to be everywhere and they have to be happy and and in good moods all the time. You know, I think another thing that really happens for people this time of year is we get a few days off. And so what they do is they turn around and they say, okay, within these few days, I've got to recoup from a full year of stress over the holidays. But then in Newfoundland and Labrador in particular, we are just flat out. So it's almost like that song by spirit of the West. I need home for a rest. Right?
3: Yes, it is. It is. It's exactly that. And in some ways, Christmas and the holidays, your time off should be about celebrating. But given the society we're in, it's often about recharging and taking that space to kind of slow down. But here in Newfoundland, from the Tibbs Eve 23rd right into Christmas Eve, then Christmas Day, Boxing Day, we are a very traditional, you know, we have a lot of unique stuff happening here. And that's awesome. And so many people travel home for Christmas here. There's really a special culture. But It can lead to just overeating, over drinking, over socializing and kind of forgetting about our own needs Mm -hmm. and that it's really great to see people and to treat yourself and enjoy the moments. But at the same time, making sure to not forget what it is that you need. So even though all these exciting, fun things are happening, can you still keep a little bit of your daily routine, not letting every single thing go? Because. After a couple of days of that, it might be okay, but when you're getting into like the fourth and fifth day, that's when our mental health, our physical body starts to really feel the impact of all that eating and drinking and merriment.
0: <laughs> that's right. I mean, and you know, I think about the things we have here. There's so many fantastic things. There's no better place in the world than to be in Newfoundland and Labrador. You yourself, you get a chance to take a staycation, just, you know, go to one of the most gorgeous places around just by driving a few hours, which is amazing. We trying to buy music and friends, but- lack of sleep, too much alcohol for a lot of people, bad foods, you know, that are not great for our health. Hit me with some of the main things people should watch out for. And maybe, you know, do they actually impact our mental health? Those, those things?
3: Absolutely. Those habits are so important. If I've learned anything since I've started my behavioral medicine program is that we can really impact our health with our lifestyle choices. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have a drink. You shouldn't indulge in a second piece of cake, but it's all about that moderation and how can we moderate, find the enjoyment without going overboard? Because it is a bit of a thin line there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know, in particular, I think about alcohol in general, like alcohol is a depressant and a lot of people get more prone to feeling a little bit sad around the holidays. So it's, it's actually Absolutely. a sad time of year for a lot of people. How about alcohol? If people are indulging a bit too much?
3: Yes. So I don't know if you've heard of a term called anxiety, but mm. if you are, you know, experiencing any negative emotions, whether it's anxiety, fear, stress, depression, sadness, drinking alcohol while it feels great in the moment, you're, you know, after a couple of drinks, you're letting loose, you're enjoying it. But the next morning it's like throwing fuel on a flame. You, Mm -hmm. whatever negative feelings you had prior to that are going to be exasperated. And then, you know, as you get older this kind of can even go on for a couple of days. So your Saturday night can turn into still feeling quite down on Tuesday morning, even. Mm-hmm. So just approaching it with moderation, which can be tricky because, you know, when you're having that's, you know, special Christmas cocktail or the second glass of wine, it's very enjoyable. It feels good, but even just adding in a little, you know, a glass of water there, taking a, a non-alcoholic beverage, staying hydrated and just making good choices throughout your day, making sure you're eating balanced meals and that you're well-fueled so that when you're having those treats, you're still getting nutrients elsewhere because, you know, how many times do we bop from Christmas party to Christmas party where you're like, well, this is my third event of the day, but can you make sure to kind of still get that, you know, nutrition, hydration, rest, and that solid sleep because Mm -hmm. you tend to forget that. That our bodies don't take a break during the holidays, even though you know we stop working, we stop going to school, but we still need to treat ourselves well. And you know, being taking a break and enjoying it is absolutely fantastic. But again, it's finding that place of moderation.
0: We're here with Julie Dwyer from Ease Mindfulness, talking about why the holidays can be particularly tough here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and what you can do to keep mindful, preserve and improve your mental health, and enjoy the holidays. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Julie Dwyer from Ease Mindfulness about why the holidays can be particularly tough here in Newfoundland and Labrador and what we can do to keep mindful, preserve or improve our mental health and enjoy the holidays. Let's check it out. Okay, so you've hit on some important things. We talked about lifestyle, trying to maintain some of those healthy habits, even when we're flat out going from party to party. But let's talk about what you really focus on, in particular in your business side of things, and that's mindfulness. And so for folks that are listening and don't really know what mindfulness is, what is it? And give me a definition that'll resonate with all of us.
3: Sure. So at its simplest, mindfulness is truly just about being present to the here and now. So observing what's going on within you, around you, And approaching it with acceptance with curiosity with flexibility rather than judgment rather than criticism so we tend to be our own worst enemies as Mm -hmm. you know as humans we're all kind of guilty of it here and there so being mindful is you know acknowledging the space you're in giving yourself permission to be exactly where you are in that moment and meeting yourself with kindness so if it's Christmas Eve and you're just having a bad day, you're in a bad mood, something's going wrong. Instead of trying to slap a smile on, you know, bottle those feelings down, can you just acknowledge it? Can you name it? Sometimes we think that naming our emotions or acknowledging how we're feeling, you know, kind of amplifies them or makes it worse, but it's actually the opposite. It gives us more power. So mm-hmm. if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling anxious this holiday season, just by simply acknowledging that naming it for what it is being in that present moment without distracting ourselves through things like drinking and eating and binging netflix for 10 hours straight or whatever it is that you do to distract yourself (laughs) can you be present for it so with mindfulness you know i've learned i've worked with many people many different organizations oh and groups over the past year and there are many different approaches and meditation is a great way to practice it but it's not for everybody Mm -hmm. so something as simple as having a gratitude practice each day can you just acknowledge something in your day that you are thankful for that you appreciate on the good days that'll be very easy to do you will have a long list of things you're happy about on the bad days. It, it's going to maybe be a bit more challenging, but even if it is your pet, your cup of coffee, your favorite sports team winning a game last night, there's always something we can find. And just by cultivating that mindset, we can get ourselves in that mindful place, even journaling, mindful writing, kind of getting it out on paper without getting the fear of other people reading it or hearing our deepest Darkest, most embarrassing thoughts. Writing can level out tough emotions like that. Whether writing in a journal, writing in your notes on your phone, even something as simple as just doing one thing with all of your attention. We've kind of began to pride ourselves on being great multitaskers as as people. We're like, I can do watch a movie while wrapping my Christmas gifts, while talking to my mom, while being on Skype. All these, you know, many things that happen. But can you just slow down a little bit? Mm-hmm. Do one thing at a time with all of your intention, with all of your not balancing so many different things at once. So like there's many, many ways we can practice mindfulness and weave it into our daily habits. And I think that an important thing is that if we think about mindfulness more as a lifestyle and things that we can incorporate day to day, as opposed to a specific thing that we have to work on, we're more likely to do it, to use it and to benefit from it.
0: Yes. I actually use an app that you take pictures of and you write the things you're grateful for. If you have a bad day, you hit play and go from there. I've even heard things like just stare at a random object until you notice all the little details to make you aware. And that's, I thought that was a great one.
3: Using your senses is so important. So something as simple as eating your supper, taking a shower can be a great mindfulness exercise. You're in the shower. If you're like me, you're kind of lathering up overthinking all the things, but (laughs) You really could be paying attention to the temperature of the water, the smell of the soap, how the water feels on your skin. If you're eating, what is the texture of your food? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? Just slowing down and incorporating those senses, even going for a walk and paying attention to the things you're seeing, you're hearing. It's it's truly A simple practice that doesn't necessarily mean that is an easy practice, but fundamentally, there are many ways we can incorporate it within our day to day without having to spend money. Like you said there you about your app, there are many other free apps out there, Mm -hmm. you know, Calm, Insight Timer, Headspace. These are all great resources that are free of charge that people can avail of
0: hmm That's right. You can even get Headspace on uh, Air Canada flights. When we start to fly again, you can log in and listen to those. It's, it's becoming really common. And, and those are fantastic advice on how to incorporate it on a routine schedule and day-to-day, different ways throughout your day. But I have a question. So uh, when you get around mm-hmm. the holidays, you get around your family and everybody loves their family, but our family knows how to trigger us better than anybody. So how do we stay mindful when we've got some of the best triggerers out there at us. Not that I have this That's at all, but true. some people do.
3: I read a quote once that said, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. And it's, it's so true. And if and people aren't quite sure what we mean when we're saying triggered, but it's something that we all experience. You can feel your heart rate going up. you start to sweat a little bit. You can just feel your overwhelm coming on. And in that moment though, you can take a pause Sometimes we're very used to just going zero to 60, having that reaction, but can you take a breath, 10 seconds of breathing? Can you leave the room for a second and just take a minute in through your nose, out through your nose? Even I find counting can be quite helpful. So just taking a little breath work there, little moment, 60 seconds of a break, find quiet place, count the breath in for five seconds, hold the breath for five seconds, release it for five seconds wait another five seconds and then start again. It's called box breathing. This is something you can Google. It's it's well proven to help, you know, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling stressed and it's inevitably going to happen. Our family know what bus- buttons to push. They know us better than anybody. And it's very likely that at some point during the Christmas season, somebody that you love is going to say something that's going to potentially send you into a spiral, but you have the choice to acknowledge it. Again, can you name it? Name it to tame it. Oh God, that just got me. Didn't like that. And then choose the response from there.
0: I used to say, it's sort of like playing football and uh, one team scoring a touchdown on you every single time you start setting up defense on that before long, they aren't scoring a touchdown. They might be getting 10 yards, then zero yards. And then they start using their second, third, fourth, fifth best plays. And you're kind of you got a good team uh, approach towards it, nuts. That's, yeah, that's that's definitely important. Of course, me, I'm going home to see my mom soon. Uh, we we get along fantastic. We don't see each other very often, so it's there's no triggers there. However, um, <laughs> I know a lot of people do have those now. The holidays are a a great opportunity, though, because especially the way the holidays are falling this year is we are going to have a little bit more time off if we have a type of job that allows us to have that time off. How can we use this time to ingrain some of these habits and some of these tactics that you've been talking about today?
3: Well, I think starting exactly where you are today, instead of waiting until Monday, instead of waiting till the holidays are over, instead of waiting to fresh start January 1st, New Year, New You, make a change today, a small baby step, incremental change is the way to create lasting and meaningful impact. So during the holidays, you know, maybe you have tons of things in your calendar, but can you take just a few minutes each day for yourself, whether it's something as simple as having a stretch in the morning when you wake up or going for a walk, but can you even just schedule it into your day the same way you schedule in those social functions, those expectations and all of the things that we have going on, prioritizing that space. And it doesn't have to be anything huge. We don't have to give hours and hours of our time to, to feel good, but prioritizing it as a non-negotiable is the place to start because when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to New Year's holidays, all the things that are coming up, everything else is exciting. Everything else will take priority over our wellness habits because they're not as exciting really. And, you know, it's, it's hard to maintain that, but if you schedule it in, whether, you know, your agenda, your Google calendar, and you make that commitment to yourself, you're more likely to follow through. That's the 20 minutes I was going to go for a walk or even just, making time to connect with people. We sometimes spend a lot of time in big groups over the holidays, at Christmas parties, at events, but are we really getting that one-to-one connection? You know, maybe you need to schedule a phone call with a friend that's away or checking in on someone who may be alone for the holidays or many other situations like that, that can you create that real connection? Because sometimes we're out at these big parties, we're seeing a lot of people, but are we really finding that, True connection rather than the small talk and the drinks and the merriment, but to really check in if you're having a hard time or something's going on to to open up to someone that you trust and, and, and name it for what it is and kind of go over that with them.
0: No, that's so true. That's so true. One of the things I've committed to is that in between eating bread and cheese, I'm gonna make sure I get my exercise in so that I've got some semblance of it, but I'm not giving up my bread and cheese for the holidays because God loves it. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's about, you know, having fun, enjoying the benefits of the holidays of all the good food that we often don't get throughout the year, but just keeping a tiny bit of normalcy to it. Yeah. You know, whether it's even if your workout is normally 60 minutes, can you do 30 minutes? And some is always better than none. I think there's any takeaway that I'd like to say here is that some is better than none. So if you only have 15 minutes, take that 15 minutes, whether it's going for a walk, focusing on your breathing, kind of just doing you taking time for yourself, staying hydrated. These are all just small changes that we can incorporate through those busy days Mm -hmm. uh, to keep ourselves feeling a bit better.
0: Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. that will keep me a little healthier too. Well, thank you for coming back today. I know you're trying to go and enjoy some of that RR that's much needed this time of year. So I'm going to let you get back to it. But thank you for coming on today. And uh, next time, let's make sure it's not 12 months between visits.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to speak with you. I hope you have a great holiday season.
0: Happy holidays. Thank you to my guests for joining me today in the show. The holidays are all about connecting and recharging, so I hope today's episode will keep you on track and mindful of how lucky we are this holiday season. Now, if you wanted to reach out to Julie, you can find her on easemindfulness.com. Well, that's our show this week. Next week, we're having our annual Stories of Giving episode with a visit from the big man himself, Santa Claus. Hope you can tune in and hear about the amazing things people are doing to help in our community. Until then, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.